Hey, you're listening to Cut for Time, a podcast from Faith Church located on the north side of Indianapolis. My name is Claire Kingsley. Each week, I'll sit down with one of our preaching pastors to discuss their Sunday sermon. Cut for Time is a look behind the scenes of sermon preparation, and they'll share with us a few things that we didn't hear from the sermon on Sunday. Thanks for listening. Okay. Okay, Joey, you've got your work cut out for you because um, we are on a time crunch and we want to do it well. Yes. We've got lots of questions to cover. I know. And it's Jeff's birthday. So Nathan and I were going to take him out to lunch and we just realized, oh, that's in 20 minutes. So, so here we let's go. Let's stop talking and start talking. Okay. Recap. Go. Recap. Okay. So it's a fascinating passage, right? Chapter 12 seems to be out of place, but it's about Herod. Uh, two stories about Herod his interaction with the early church, and then his death will cover this uh, this coming week. Basically, we're looking at it and saying, okay, what? how is the church responding to political pressure that they're feeling, especially in terms of like actual persecution of the leaders of the church? And uh, is there anything in that for us to learn from today? And kind of the main takeaway um, that I try to develop for us is that whatever the political situation is that we're in, it is never so bad that God can't work. And it is never so good that we don't need God to work. Right. The, the early church really seemed to embody this perspective that the power of Herod, the power of whatever political uh, pressure is nothing compared to the power of God, but also being on the good side of the political system is nothing compared to the generosity and the blessing of what God can do for us. So ultimately it's like for us, we got to learn to kind of unhook ourselves from an obsession with political circumstances and just do the calling of the ministry that we're called to. Okay. Um, all right. That was, so, that was fast. Man, I, know. I'm like, I don't know I'm how to give fast. To it. I'm already like, oh. I could ask some follow-up <laughs> questions and we gotta go. Okay. Go for it. Um, go for it. Go for it. Okay, well, let's just talk about this text question um, somebody sent yeah. in. It feels unique that the angel shows up but doesn't have to say, hey, don't be afraid, which is like what we see a yeah. ton in yeah, the yeah, Gospels. Yeah. Don't be afraid. Is this anything unique in this circumstance? Like, do you think that it happened and didn't it get included or what's going on? Was it purposeful? Um, it kind of, it, it, it hadn't struck me, um, but I... Uh, was thinking, you know, looking back at Acts 5, when uh, the angel shows up and delivers them, right, um, yeah. from prison, I think it just said, during the night, angel Lord opened the prison doors and brought them out, right? So there was nothing there either about the angel saying, don't be afraid. Plus, in this time, it's like Peter's only half awake and thinks it's a vision, not reality. And so it just, it, yeah, um, it didn't quite strike him in the same way as like the angel, the Lord showing up and saying, don't be afraid. You know, or the angels showing up to the shepherds or something like that. Okay. All right. That was easy. Thank you. Um, all right. In a similar um, related question, is there a literary connection between the angel's instructions to Peter, which is get up, get dressed and leave in haste, which is there like similarity? Is that purposeful between that? And then the instructions that Moses gives the Israelites in Egypt, uh-huh. um, because the time frame it, in verse three says it happened during the days of unleavened bread. Just curious. Yeah. Yeah. No, that, uh, that had not also had not occurred to me at all. I, I didn't read in any of the commentaries that I was in, which admittedly it was only five or six. It was not a ton. Um, 
no one else kind of made those connections, or at least that I recall them making them. It's really interesting because, um, yeah, it, Days of Unleavened Bread, that's the time right after Passover. So this is happening in that same time frame in which uh, the Exodus is occurring. Um I didn't double check is the Greek vocabulary here the same as in the Greek translation of the Old Testament. But what commentaries did point out is that Luke is, again, echoing some of the same language of Jesus's arrest and trial and crucifixion. Some of the same vocabulary shows up there, the same sort of pattern of arrest, trial, execution. Um, so there's definite literary uh, parallels with Jesus's own trial and crucifixion. Um and I'd not be surprised if if Luke is also echoing the Exodus narrative um, just in little ways. Next question. Um, this person says, we appreciate your willingness to address politics on a rare occasion. How do you handle the words from or how did you handle the words from your pastor friend? Was it like how did you receive them? Was it a text? Was it a phone call? Was it in person? Because then that would change maybe how you respond uh -huh. exactly. And then um Believing that faith has strong members who are on each side of the political spectrum, you knowing, you know, who our congregation is yeah. made up of, um, how do you do handle that as a pastor? Yeah, that, that's a great question. So this friend in particular um, who made this comment, it wasn't one-on-one. -on -one. Uh, it was in a group context. Uh, it was in a meeting context, not anything having to do with faith church, you know, so it's, it's not another pastor here or anything like that. Um, and so kind of in that that moment that it happened it's like i definitely disagree but i didn't particularly have standing to uh interrupt the meeting to uh start a debate yeah. uh, on that particular topic um so it's not something that i've gone to the guy and said like really like really i actually i take that back i have just not directly about that statement about uh the overall worldview in which that statement was made mm. um but in, t in terms of people at faith um, yeah, we have people on both ends of the political spectrum, and we have people on the ends of the political spectrum who can't believe that there are people at faith who are on the opposite side, right? And there's people here who support that kind of thing or something like that. Um, I really like the way I read um, David French. He's a New York Times columnist, evangelical um, believer, Um and I'm going to butcher his the way he puts it, but I really resonated with something he wrote maybe a year ago now, where he basically said that the scriptural position on politics is that passionate followers of Jesus who love him, love the church, and are trying to serve him well can come to different conclusions and different beliefs about policies about what the right policy position should be on a number of different issues. But scripture is adamant about how we are to behave as followers of Jesus, whether we're involved in politics or anything else. Um, but he says that today's church perspective, especially kind of the right side of the church, well, at the left as well, but predominantly on the right side, um, today's church perspective is you have to be 100% on board with exact specific unnuanced policy decisions and, and policy positions. And then to make that happen, you just behave however is necessary. Like, no, 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 it's okay for your behavior to be unlike Jesus as long as your policies are correct. What I think what scripture would admonish us and the example of Jesus would admonish us is that, hey, it's okay to disagree about policy decisions, but here's how we behave as Christians. So 
our tack with faith church is not to get into the here's what you must believe about policy here's what your position has to be on this issue and that issue and on this issue and there are plenty of people here who wish we would be more specific about some things Mm -hmm. and plenty of people who wish we would be more general about some of those things but we are going to continue to beat the drum of whatever you believe and however you in whatever side of politics you engage in here's how you behave as a follower of Jesus. We do not set aside love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. We do not adopt the weapons of Herod and the tactics of the world in order to defend the kingdom of God. We are people who are called to pray first, not any number of other things first. That's what we're called to be as followers of Jesus. And if that means we, quote unquote, lose cultural relevance, or we lose cultural dominance, or we lose the freedom even to worship in the way that we're accustomed. Better to lose the freedom to worship without losing our virtue and our um, witness for Christ because of how we behave than the other way around. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I think Jesus said something about gain the world, lose your soul, that kind of thing. Something, so, maybe, yeah. something like that. So even, even if it doesn't quote unquote work, the point isn't for us to behave in such a way as to retain power or influence or even freedom. The point is for us to be like Jesus, no matter what happens or no matter what God allows to happen. Yeah. All right. Um, So I think that there's a good connection in this question someone asked between your sermon, Mm -hmm. but also our upcoming um, Lenten series, um, going back to Lamentations. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Just like knowing the brokenness of the world, we all have these desires of things that like we are asking for deliverance from in you've shared things in your life and this person is saying they're also going through something is there something else in addition to prayer that you would recommend as we process through um this i think the what what would you call it like oh some people call it like the desert or the wilderness or the winter you know the dark nights yeah praying for something different in whatever um, circumstance you're in praying for deliverance what else could you do in that moment or in that season yeah yeah it's a great question and it's a real you know it's a real personal question coming from deep pain right all of these things remind us the world is not as it was supposed to be and it's not yet what it is going to be and we long for the world to be what god created for it to be uh in the beginning uh what he created for us to be for a world of no tears and no pain and no death and no disease and and no anguish. Um, So what besides prayer? Uh, Well, first I would say in terms of prayer, um, prayer our prayers have to be for more than just deliverance. Um, I'm reminded uh, in in two different places, I was reminded of uh, Daniel, uh, well, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego in the fiery furnace. Our God is able to rescue us, but even if he doesn't, Yep. Right. And so that, that has to be the posture of our prayer. God, you were able to deliver, but even if you don't. Um, and so asking, Father, if if you're not going to release us from this, deliver us from this, rescue us from this, then preserve us through it. Um, give us courage. Give us faith. Give us the, op- you know, build in us a stronger faith to live through it. So, so prayer first needs to be holistic, not just for deliverance, but for endurance, persever- perseverance, courage. Um, and then beyond that, um, or in addition to prayer, um, I think some of the other spiritual disciplines really come uh, come to mind. Um, 
finding in the Psalms and in the stories of scripture, uh, the inspiration to endure, seeing how others have done it, um, finding in the stories of the church, how others have endured through difficulty, uh, not just going and looking for the stories of deliverance, but the stories of endurance, um, finding within the community, other people that will continue to hold us up, even as, um, even as things aren't, you know, we're not being delivered from what we want to be, um, building really deep and strong uh, community and relationships with others that will be there when it doesn't get any better. Um, mm. I guess in a sense, what I'm saying is if God's not going to, if God's choice, his will is not to deliver us, uh, that doesn't mean we stop working for deliverance. I kind of talked about that a little bit in the sermon. Like my thoughts are, well, if God's not going to do it, then I guess I have to. Um, and that's a kind of a stark way of putting it because yeah, I should actually also be working to make the world what God intended it to be in the first place, knowing that I'm never going to do it perfectly and I'm never going to bring in, you know, the final days or anything like that. Um, so you're praying for deliverance while also like if it's medical, right, you're praying for deliverance while also talking to doctors and trying to figure out the best way to address it. Like both those things go hand in hand. Um, so it isn't just sit back and pray. It is also work to make it better, but it is also build the networks of relationships and community and habits of worship that are required to uh, find courage and endurance in the midst of suffering. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And, yes. you know, take more naps, take more naps and eat better food. That also really helps. That does. Yes. Um, someone told me recently, a friend just said like, it's okay to um for like lament or grief or that in between space to feel unnatural because that's not actually our original design we were not created to have to grieve and to have to lament and it's something that like we've it's just nothing we were created to do the god's original design did not include that part so it's something right. that he has modeled for us and that we can learn how to do but it's definitely yeah it's just not our first it, are yeah. probably our natural right. instinct in our design, human design. Yeah. Yeah. And I'm glad you brought up lament again, because the question was about, yeah, we're going into a lament series. And part of the goal of going through lamentations is to help us practice as a community and then individually. Like, how do I lament? How do I stand before God and say both this sucks and you're good? And both of those are true. Uh, we talked about this a little bit when we talked about grief, you know, a few weeks ago. That yeah. we don't have to say bad things are good um, because some good may happen out of it. You know, we don't have to reverse engineer the bad or try to convince ourselves bad is actually good. We have to be able to both say, this is bad. It is not the way the world should be. And God is good. And he will, he will preserve me through this. Mm-hmm. All right. And I, I mean, we could just keep talking, but I'm going to save it because I know yeah. we're going to have plenty okay. of time in Lent. Lots of time in Lent. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but yeah. on the same topic, someone just also said, um, as we anticipate this break from Acts to study Lamentations, mm -hmm. how in the world do you divide up the book of Acts in a two and a half year series this far in advance? How do you determine this is where we're going to break and this is where we pick back up and here are the sub series and here is the sermon passage you know, and that kind of thing. How in the world do you do that as you think and pray about what the body of our church should be hearing each week? Yeah. 
Ah, it's that's a fun question. Okay, so this is a nuts and bolts. It's really good logistical, so, yeah. I, it is, yeah. So um, first, first thing we do is kind of at faith. Our habit is um, preach through a whole book. So we're talking about. So Nathan and Jeff and I got together and like, hey, what what do we think of what might be next? We looked at three, four, five different options. Ultimately decided, let's preach through Acts, and we're going to preach through the whole book. Okay, well. Now let's talk about dividing it up. It's a lot of narrative. Do we want to combine multiple stories at once? What would it look like to preach every story? So we we split it out that way and it's like 87 sermons, 87 sections to hit every story. Um, then we looked at, well, how, in Acts, what are the clues that the, the narrator gives us, that Luke gives us for how he's broken it up? And commentaries, outlines, things like that are really helpful. So it's like, oh yeah, here's a chunk, here's a chunk, here's a chunk. Then we get out a calendar and we say, okay, here's the weeks for Lent. Here's the weeks for Advent. Here's weeks we take off for one worship um, or for like the Sunday after Christmas, et cetera. Um, now let's start laying things in. How does it fit? How well with these different sections? Because if, if we can, can finish a section before taking a break, that'd be awesome. Um, didn't do a great job with the whole Cornelius story. I think we should have done two taking a break and come back and done the third instead of okay. one and then coming back and doing the two. Um, mm -hmm. So that one didn't quite land right. Um, but this one, we're going to end with this section um, with chapter 12, because 13 is considered the second half of the book. Um, and 13 through 18, I think is, um, or 13 through 14 or 15, it's like Saul and Barnabas, their initial missionary journey. Um, so this one, we're ending right where we need to, and then Lent, and then we'll come back right into it. So yeah. We basically just laid it out. How well does it fit? Do we need to stretch? Do we need to compress in order to have natural breaks? Um, and so far, we're doing okay. Mm -hmm. um, we compressed a little bit in order to um, step out of the series and talk about grief, um, you know, a couple of weeks ago. And it's that's fine. That's great. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. Because um, there were two shorter ones that, you know, we could preach them separately, but they work well together as well. So, mm -hmm. you know, it's, it's locked in, uh, in stone, but it's, uh, we get, we have a spreadsheet that. Yeah. Is you guys work out like six to nine months in advance. There's like, there's a yeah. plan happening. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Sometimes yeah. more. I mean, at this point it's all in there for, we got you just two years in advance. It's just I know, man. Yeah. feels great to know what we're preaching next week. Yeah. <laughs> well, that's always happened. Um, all right. Well, thanks, Joey, for answering all those questions. We did great. I don't, did we make it in time? Yeah. Okay. Uh, yeah, hey, okay. I'm going to take one minute to throw in some stuff that I had to cut because we had oh. so many good questions, but here's some fun stuff. Um, at the end of chapter 11 in verse 30, there's this fascinating little comment that Saul and Barnabas bring the offering for the, the famine relief offering and they present it to the elders, not to the seven or the 12 apostles kind of indicating, Hey, leadership is shifting here. Like what's mm -hmm. going on. Then we get into chapter 12 and here's a story of, Oh, Peter goes off the scene. The apostles are going out into missionary work and it's shifting to James, the brother of Jesus and these kind of elders now are leading the church in Jerusalem. So if you remember way back in chapter one, we needed to replace a missing apostle. Yeah. So we had the 12. Well, the, the, mission of the gospel is moving into Gentile territory and the whole recapitulation of Israel and the 12 tribes and 12 apostles isn't quite as necessary. So 
James the Apostle's killed and he's not immediately replaced. Like it's, you can sense there's shifting there, mm. uh, which is really interesting. A couple other just fascinating little side notes I didn't have time to get into. Yeah. Uh, Mary is the mother of John Mark. So John Mark is introduced in this narrative. We don't know much about him, but he's going to play a pretty big role in the coming chapters. Um, John Mark was actually Barnabas's cousin, which means Mary's his aunt. So this might've been Barnabas's church as well. Um, Saul probably wasn't there, but Barnabas may have been present at this prayer meeting when Peter knocks on the gate outside. Um, oh. So it's kind of interesting to think about because this is all happening before Barnabas is sent up to Antioch. I was just going to say, it's like to worlds colliding, Saul. you know? Yes. Like, yeah. It's kind of cool. Yeah. yeah. So there's some fun worlds colliding stuff there. Mm-hmm. And of course, at the end of the chapter um, with Herod's going to die, that's AD 44. And then we get a summary statement, the word spreads. And then, oh, by the way, Saul and Barnabas, they brought that gift and now they're going back to Antioch. And then 13 is where we pick up with, let's take the gospel further. So fun little details that, you know, didn't really work in, but, and we could talk more about the famine and, you know, the, the historic hundred year flood in Egypt that led to poor, um, that was in 80, 45 or 44. And that led to poor, uh, um, harvest for that year and then it trickled down over the course of the next two years into the rest of the the Judean Empire. Yeah, anyway. Mm. There's a lot of fun historical stuff because we're getting into the areas where like we have a lot of historical record. Um, yeah. other other things. And so we can tie stuff to specific dates in really interesting ways. Yes. And that's um something that someone at the time it was like uh essential to like what their experience of what they were living through, but maybe we disconnected thousands of years later we're like right um, right we didn't get that historic like they knew it already because they were living it or they heard yeah. it from their grandparents or their it's like passed down of like oh that year it's the same way we're going to be yeah. like 2020 everyone knows what 20 dude 2020 yeah but like 9 11 2020 yeah now like you got to put the history and the narrative and like what was actually happening in the time with the scripture and yeah. you get a bigger picture it's really neat so yeah Exactly. Because Theophilus, he knew about the famine, right? He, Luke didn't need to remind him, by the way, this is the famine that happened such and such a time. I mean, he says during the reign of Claudius, because they do happen fairly often. But uh, yeah, it, it's the the, um, the implied reader, you know, the person Luke has in mind when he's writing it has a lot of information in their head from lived experience that we don't have. Exactly. And that's where a lot of this historical stuff, it's helpful to dig into. And, yes. And, that's uh, what I was trying to say, but you just said it way better. <laughs> no, you said it. You said it great. I just used technical terms from books. So. All right. Well, thanks, Joey, so okay. much for all. Yeah, that. this was fun. It was great. You did a great job. Yeah. All right. Well, and I'm only one minute late to lunch. Uh, Jeff's happy birthday lunch. So. Hey, y'all, text Jeff. Once you listen to this, text him or email him and say, happy 57. Yes, exactly. Yeah. Happy birthday. Good job. One more year around the sun. You're aging at the normal rate. This is awesome. Thanks for listening to this week's episode of Cut for Time. If you wish to submit questions to our pastors following their sermon, you can email them to podcast at faithliveitout.org or text them into our Faith Church texting number, and we'll do our best to cover it in the week's episode. If this conversation blessed you in any way, we encourage you to share it with others. Thanks for listening. We'll be back again next week.